You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi and welcome to the first Sweden in Focus of the last month of the year. We are recording this episode on Thursday the 1st of December. Coming up this week we have a roundup of pre-Christmas stories and activities. We're looking at the curious case of Sweden abstaining on an important EU vote. We find out what Irish people are doing in Sweden in the first of a new series of interviews with ambassadors. We'll recap some of the week's big news stories. We'll test our panellists' knowledge of Sweden with a seasonal quiz and we'll be examining the all-important question of what it is that makes romantic relationships between Swedes and non-Swedes so hard. I'm Paul O'Mahony and joining me today are James Savage in Stockholm and Richard Orange and Becky Waterton in Malmö. Are you all good? Yep, all good. I don't necessarily accept the premise of your last statement. I'd be interested oh, right. to see what we arrive yeah, at. Yeah, no, there, I mean there is there is some research on this, and which Richard will tell us about. Um, but yeah, interesting. No, it's not. It's not. It's not all pain, of course. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm saying this just in case my husband is listening. So those of us in the locals Stockholm office had our Yule board or Christmas dinner this week. What can you tell listeners about that, James? And what can you merely imply? <laughs> you, you're making it sound like the most raucous event. Unfortunately, we're not that many in Stockholm anymore. Well, fortunately, in a way, we've got, we're spread out across Stockholm and Malmö and um, Paris and Berlin and the Canary Islands and various (laughs) other parts of Europe. So our Stockholm Christmas lunch is relatively, or Christmas dinner, is relatively poorly attended. So it was, I think we ended up with about eight of us going Mm -hmm. out for dinner at at Vaxholms Castell. It was was lovely, but very well behaved. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. I think we're going to be six people in Malmö. Really? Yeah, because we've got people coming over from Copenhagen as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, the, yeah, yeah. The local so Öresund is, is, yes. is, is, is growing and burgeoning. But it was nice, wasn't it? We got we took a boat over to, to Vaxholm. We were served um, glug or this mulled wine on the boat. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about Swedish Julbord Christmas dinners is, that, uh, I mean, well, it's just the, it's, the, it's the Christmas dinners. And when you go to a hotel or go to a restaurant and they do a proper one, it's pretty damn good. You've got a lot of amazing stuff to choose from, you know, from the fish courses to the meatballs and to the desserts. So it's, mm. it's bloody great. And of course, lots of snaps. Lots of snaps, yeah. And you did some, you did some Christmas songs. Of course, I did some Christmas mm. songs. Of course, it is no, you can't drink snaps if you don't <laughs> sing. In uh, in last week's podcast, uh, Becky, you briefly mentioned that two great grey owls had escaped from the Skansen Zoo in Stockholm. What's happened with them? Are they back yet? They are back, and that's not even the best part of the story. The guy who captured Percy, the owl that was still on the loose, well, he didn't really capture. Ed Tyson him to return. His name is Mikael Ugla 
which is the <laughs> Swedish the Swedish word for owl is ugla. So the owl got captured by Mr. Owl, which is just fantastic. And I was reading the interview with him and he was like, yes, you know, I have quite an interest in owls, you know, given my surname. And I thought this didn't look like a usual normal owl. So I alerted Skansen, who came and enticed him down with some mice. Absolutely great story. The best end to that story possible, I think. Yeah, it was brilliant. And as we talked about last week, um, Advent is now well underway, which means it's also Christmas market season. Can we recommend any good markets to listeners? Well, we've done a guide to it, which you can find on our website. And Mm. the one that I'd love to go to, but I never managed to, is the one in Kalmar Castle, which is, um, it's a three hour trip from us and probably a bit more from Stockholm. But that, that, that looks just, apparently is absolutely beautiful. And people come from all over Sweden, sort of craftspeople come from all over Sweden and sell their wares. But in Stockholm... There's one in Skansen. What about Malmo? Is there anything in Malmo? In Malmo, yeah. There's in, in Mulan. Uh, there's there's one which is the kind of more. I suppose it's the hipster area. There's one in in a sort of old shopping mall called Mitty Mulan, where basically, I mean, my wife used to sell soap there. It's like where everyone who does crafts and stuff goes to sell what they make. So I know some people uh, selling ceramics. Are there. you are you doing it? I'm not, but I have some friends that are. But uh-huh. on the topic of ceramics, my ceramic studio is holding a Christmas market in Malmo this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even a plug because I'm not selling anything there. So I'm just tipping you off about all of my nice ceramics <laughs> colleagues that will be selling stuff. But that's this weekend in uh, Sivid. I suppose the classic one in Sweden is probably, is, isn't there a big one in Stortoriet in uh, Gamla Stan? Mm. There is, yeah. Or is it a bit too touristy? It's a bit touristy. It's a lovely location, but I wouldn't say it's the best Julmarknad to go to. The one that I usually really love is the one at Drottningholm the palace where the king and queen actually live just outside Stockholm. Unfortunately, that's been closed this year because they're widening a road just outside the palace, which is a massively controversial project (laughs) as well because it's right through the middle of a World Heritage site. Anyway, it's also caused the cancellation of this year's Christmas market at Drottingholm. So if you were planning on going there change your mind. Similar to Skansen, there's one at Liseberg Park, like the amusement park in Gothenburg. Um, yeah. which I think has like also a couple of different restaurants where you can eat a Yule board, like a Christmas meal. And there are there are markets all over the country. And as you say, we've got an updated guide on, on the site that we can link to in the show notes. One curiosity that caught my eye this week, just moving on to the news, is the fact that Sweden abstained in a vote to approve the 2023 European Union budget last week. And only two of the 27 countries in the EU failed to approve the budget. That was Hungary and Sweden. Do we have any idea, this hasn't been reported on much, do we have any idea why Sweden decided not to approve the EU budget? No, it's barely been reported on at all, which I think is interesting. Of course, ultimately, this has very little effect because the EU budget is passed by qualified majority and only Sweden and Hungary abstained, nobody voted against, and so the budget went through anyway. But what's interesting about this is that usually the EU budget is negotiated, it's the result of long negotiations between all the EU countries and it's just waved through on a formality, everybody usually votes for it, there's no controversy. But this year both Sweden, as you said, and Hungary abstained from the um, budget. Now Hungary, it's the EU's bad boy, it's in a level of disagreement with the with, with the European Commission and with other EU countries because of its, well, partly because of its move towards authoritarianism under Viktor Orban, but also because of the way it uses EU funds, which then uh, is accused of, um, of, of, of corruption in the way that it, that it uses EU funds. But anyway, Sweden's explanation for abstaining, it really hasn't given much of an explanation. I mean, if you talk to Swedish officials, they say that they, they, they didn't think the budget was really sufficient to cover unexpected events and that, you know, they, they, were, they, they had questions about the, the, the economic thinking behind the budget. 
it sounds like a very strange reason to do something that's relatively unusual for an EU country. So so some people suspect that the Swedish government is trying to, trying to make nice with Hungary. Hungary, which needs to ratify Sweden's NATO membership application and has not yet done so. It's the only country apart from Turkey that has not yet done so. Now, recently, Viktor Orban went out and said he was minded to push for ratification by Hungary's parliament early in the, in the new year. And you wonder whether these two things are connected. And certainly some people are suspecting that they are. There was uh, Susanna Kirku or Nafton Bladet, the one who first, who, basically the only person who's written about this, said that that's what she suspects is going on. But also there's a possibility perhaps that this is also reflective of the Sweden Democrats, sometimes quite close relationships with Viktor Orban's Hungary and Sweden Democrats obviously being um, a party that's close to Sweden, supporting the Swedish government, that the Swedish government is relying on. And this has caused some concern from Brussels in general, particularly you know, in the EU Parliament. There was a visit this week by the EU Parliament's president, uh, Roberta Metzola, and her delegation was seeking reassurances over Sweden's pro-EU position and the role of the Sweden Democrats. Um, this wasn't just about the budget, it's just generally about the role of the Sweden Democrats and Sweden's commitment to the EU project. She was given those reassurances by Ulf Kristersson. We are a pro-EU government, he said. And, you know, the moderates have traditionally been very pro-EU, as have the Liberals, as have indeed the Christian Democrats. And the, the Sweden Democrats have dropped their opposition to EU membership. So, you know, ultimately, they're all more or less pro-EU in some way, shape or form. Also interesting, when the Swedish EU minister, Jessica Roosevelt, was asked how the government would vote vis-a-vis um, -vis Hungary's money, releasing mm. funds to Hungary, the Swedish EU minister was quite unclear about what was going to happen there. So um, watch that space too. It's also kind of easy points if they want to get hungry on side because it doesn't really affect... It's not like the budget's not going to go through if they abstain. Exactly that. The fact that all the other EU countries, that Sweden's EU allies know that Sweden needs Hungary <laughs> to get into NATO and that most of Sweden's EU allies support Sweden going into NATO. Yeah. I think all of Sweden's EU allies support Sweden going into NATO. So there's a certain amount of understanding there, I would, mm. I, I, I would imagine. But it's a very obviously a, a very unusual thing yeah. to happen. We've got a new feature this week, the first of what we hope will be many interviews with ambassadors to find out a little bit more about our fellow foreigners in Sweden and what we're all doing here. Now, I want to stress that this is purely coincidental and nothing at all to do with the fact that I crave home comforts after several months in a podcast with three English people. <laughs> totally what it's, it's about. It's, lo it's lovely and everything, but we are going to start with uh, the Irish ambassador to Sweden, Austin Gormley, who I caught up with a few days ago. And I started by asking him to tell us a little bit about himself. I grew up in County Wicklow, what's known as the Garden of Ireland, and I guess I had a relatively uneventful life until I was about 23 when I joined uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs. And uh, 1991, I'm giving the game away now in terms of my age, but since then I've been travelling the world. Um, I guess I've had a, always had an interest in travel and an interest in current affairs, so the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Diplomatic Service was ideal for me. I've lived in seven countries mm. um, in between, and in between, I've also got married. My wife's from Bulgaria and we have two children, two teenagers, living in Stockholm at the moment, obviously. And how long have you been in Sweden? Just over two years. We came during the pandemic, uh, August 2020. So we came from, from lockdown Ireland uh, into, into Sweden at that time. And could you just tell listeners a little bit about the Irish community? I mean, how many Irish people are there living in Sweden? 
We estimate that there are about 3,000 Irish citizens in Sweden and, you know, in the main cities, as you'd expect, Stockholm primarily, but also Gothenburg and Malmö. Also increasing numbers in very far reaches uh, in the north, Mm. in uh, Luleå, for example, where a lot of Irish companies are constructing uh, data centres up there and in places like Sandviken and Jävla. So we've we've had um, numbers of Irish citizens coming in in recent years, some staying longer actually mm. and some in transit and are they concentrated in any sort of particular professions or what are, what are Irish people doing in Sweden quite a lot actually are married to Swedish nationals let's say yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of intermarriage I guess Ireland was a popular destination in the 90s as well yeah. uh, for Sw- for Swedish people again linked to I guess the music uh, you know film the commitments mm. U2 the cores all of that yeah. so so I think that there's quite a lot of that also big companies like Ericsson's of course have uh, have, a, have an establishment and uh, have uh, operations in Ireland and people have come with transferred across to Sweden as a result um, so that's, that's part of it and more recently yeah, younger Irish people studying here I would say yeah. uh, it's a more recent phenomenon and a lot of them then stay on a number of them would stay on yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, my own view I suppose is when uh, when people of course get married settle down have children it's maybe a little bit sticky it's hard to leave Sweden perhaps <laughs> yeah. and what are trade relations like between Ireland and Sweden they're very strong, actually, Paul. Um, I mean, in terms of the Nordics generally, we're doing about 15 billion uh, in total trade uh, between Ireland and the Nordic region, of which about 1.2 billion uh, in what we call indigenous company exports. Uh, these are largely Enterprise Ireland supported companies. So 1.2 billion into Nordics exports, of which about half is into Sweden. Mm-hmm. It's also the highest growing region for Irish exports globally, for really? indigenous Irish exports mm-hmm. globally. So that gives you a sense of the of the market. Potential. Very good. And what are the main events in the calendar for Irish people in Sweden? Well, the biggest one, Paul, as you will appreciate, is St. Patrick's Day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 17th of March. Um, and we have great community here. We, we They organise a parade and a festival uh, around the 17th. So, uh, sorry, who is it that organises it? The Swedish Irish Society. Yeah, yeah, organise that. Uh, tracks about 3,000 people, yeah. uh, typically. And beyond that, we have St. Bridget's Day, which we're celebrating in our, to our embassy network increasingly. That's to celebrate women's contribution to arts, the arts in, yeah. in, in particular. Of course, we bloom. Day uh, on the 16th of June, celebrating Joyce, Ulysses, uh, Day in the Life, and Halloween or Samhain, as it's known in Ireland. That's been appropriated by our American friends, uh, Halloween, but it was originally, of course, an Irish uh, harvest festival. So they're the big ones. And if I can say, uh, I mentioned the Swedish Irish Society are, are very active in mm. promoting cultural uh, exchanges and friendship. We have the GAA as well, the Gaelic Athletic Association, yeah. promoting Irish sports, uh, Gaelic football in particular, and they're active in a number of cities, I mean, mm. Stockholm, Malmo, Gothenburg, but also. Yevla, as I mentioned, yeah. and Lulio, where there are Irish companies. And then the Chamber, the Irish Chamber of Commerce, founded in 2018, and again, active in networking Irish business people and have a gala dinner now uh, coming up in early December in Stockholm. So it's a, it's a great community. I, I should say I would encourage anybody with, I mean, Irish people, obviously, but anybody with an affinity to Ireland, of which there are many in North America, yeah. for example, in our nearest neighbour, Britain, uh, Australia, etc., uh, New Zealand, to join in uh, the events and the embassy social media accounts have have more details of of what's on in in Stockholm and beyond. Very good. And what would you say um, is the one thing that you found most surprising after moving to Sweden? 
Uh, well, I think the sheer scale of the country is impressive. We took an overnight train with the family up to uh, Kiruna in the yeah. north. You know, the fact that it takes an overnight train to get there and then four or five hours down to the south. Summers are fantastic, yeah. I have to say. And the cafe culture and getting out there, uh, you know, and, and mingling. We've seen, seen people mingling and happy, etc. So it reminds me of, I don't know, south of France almost. Yeah, you could yeah. feel that. So so they're, they're kind of surprising. A, a little bit more serious note. I, I was... I, and I should have known better, I guess, um, but I didn't uh, quite realise the extent of the privatisation, uh, I guess, of the healthcare and education uh, sectors in Sweden that took place, you know, in the 90s and yeah. 2000s. So it's, it's, I guess, I'm, it's not something that I personally would have uh, expected in a Scandinavian country. That's interesting. Very good, yeah. And what's um, the best thing about living in Sweden? Quality of life, I would say, you know. Um, I, I can take my bike uh, from where I live in Humlegarten and, uh, you know, ride through Forest Parks uh, close to the city centre, you know, for 10 kilometres yeah. uh, on a Saturday morning. Also, the thoughtfulness that goes out, it goes into, I think, uh, a lot of the way the city is organised, but also the countryside, you know, the picnic tables and these remote spots, etc. Yeah, very thoughtful. And, of course, you talk about uh, Swedish lagum, and part of that is work-life balance. Uh, yeah. I think we've something to learn from that, you know, in, in a lot of other parts of Europe. Uh, the, the, again, the value that people attach to time with family and friends, uh, and I think we may have lost a little bit of that uh, in Ireland and elsewhere. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us here on Sweden in Focus. It's been a real pleasure and I do follow the podcast on Saturday morning. So keep up the good work and including the political analysis, which, uh, you know, embassies, believe it or not, do listen in. Uh, so thank you very much for, for the work that you do. And that was the Irish ambassador, Austin Gormley. And we look forward to catching up with more international envoys soon. It would also be nice to have tips from anyone who's listening if they have a particular ambassador that they would like us to talk to. That could be interesting. It doesn't have to be your own country ambassador. There might be someone else you think is super interesting. Yeah, and how can how should they get in touch with us? Drop us a line at news at the local.se, right? Yeah, or on yeah. Twitter, I guess they can. We have a Twitter account at Sweden in Focus as well. Now we're going to do a roundup of some stories making the news this week. Some of these are updates on where we are with stories we've discussed previously on the podcast. And we're just going to cover these fairly briefly, but we'll add links in the show notes because we have articles on the site about all of these. For example, Swedish lawmakers voted yesterday on a bill to raise the salary threshold for work permits. How did the vote go and what happens next? It went exactly as expected, which is it passed with a massive majority. Only the centre party, the Green Party and the left party voted against it. And it was a social democrat bill, but the, the right wing parties that form the government have all proposed something very similar. So it, it's, it's got cross-border support. And it's a little unclear when the change will become law, because in the proposal, it says that the implementation is, quote, the day the government decides... And Sweden's migration minister said last week she wants to issue the order to enact it, which will say what the new minimum salary will be as soon as possible. And the government said that it wants to raise the minimum salary threshold for a work permit to the median in Sweden, which is about 33,200 kroner a month. And it was quite interesting in the debate, actually. Uh, Johnny Cato from the Centre Party, he kind of came up and said businesses are really worried about this. And he read through a list of all of the different jobs where, you know, one in seven IT developers is paid under that threshold one in seven energy engineers he sort of listed all of the all of the people that Swedish businesses might lose and how it might affect them and it will mean big changes I think for our readers 
when it comes into force. Yeah, and I mean, if it's going to be implemented the same way as previous work permit reforms, then it could also be implemented retroactively, which means that people who have applied for a work permit under the old rules but not yet had that permit granted might be asked to kind of supplement that with proof that they earn over this salary. So that's something to maybe be aware of if you're waiting for a work permit to be approved. That that, that could well happen that it gets applied retroactively. And the Riksdag also voted this week to reform the system of coordination numbers. Uh, what are coordination numbers and how is this change expected to affect foreigners? Coordination numbers are kind of an alternative to a personal number. So this is the number that you get, you know, all Swedes get it when they're born in Sweden. The coordination number is an alternative to this that you can get if you need to pay tax in Sweden, but you're not going to be living in Sweden long enough to qualify for a personal number. So a personal number, you need to live in Sweden for a year or prove that you will be living in Sweden for a year. So one of the issues with the coordination number is that it doesn't allow you to access everything you can access with a personal number. So the main issue is that you can't get bank ID, which is this digital ID that you use when you log into your bank, you log into your phone provider, if you're logging into Försäkringskassen, and the social assurance agency, you know, if you need to register sick leave or something, you'll log in with your bank ID. This change, um, so the, the change to reform the system of coordination numbers, it's aimed at getting rid of those which aren't used anymore or where the people who are, or the person holding the number can't identify themselves. But one kind of knock-on effect of this is that it will make these coordination numbers more secure, which then will mean that people that hold these numbers might be able to get bank ID. There's a kind of system by DIG, the digital regulator, on what level of security you need to get access to this third tier of online identification, which is bank ID, but also Freya Plus. So this is a first step and it would require DIG to look at what's happened and say, yes, we think this is good enough because they've come in with ID and shown it to someone at the tax agency. I think the end game is that it will be good enough. Like the kind of goal of this is to tighten up coordination numbers so much that they're secure enough that they would... I I think the the immediate goal is to cut fraud because there's like tens of thousands of coordination numbers out there that nobody knows who they have. And there's evidence that people buy and sell them online, use them for welfare fraud and stuff like that. So I think the impetus for this bill is much more cutting down on fraud Mm. than helping people living in Sweden who have coordination numbers. It's kind of a knock-on effect. But the knock-on effect is that it will help people get bank IDs if the digital regulator then changes its view of coordination numbers, which are now seen as kind of worthless because they can be issued by anyone. They could be issued by the migration agency. They can be issued by an embassy. They can be issued by the police, I think. And because of that, no one has track of them. There's no central register. So the foreign ministers of Sweden, Finland and Turkey met on the sidelines of a NATO meeting in Bucharest this week. How did that go? Is Turkey ready to ratify the Nordic countries' NATO accession yet? (laughs) Uh, No. I think it's best described as two steps forward, one step back. They're, They're making slightly more positive noises but we're certainly not there yet. Okay. 600 Swedish children and young people, including Greta Thunberg, are suing the Swedish state for not doing enough to combat climate change. What are the aims of the lawsuit and do they have any chance of winning? Well, the aim is exactly what you say. It's to uh, force the government to take more far-reaching action to combat climate change. And they are launching the lawsuits on the back of the European Convention of Human Rights. They're basically arguing that by not taking sufficient action, Sweden's government is harming their rights to life, health, dignity, well-being, home and property. Lawyers have been saying in the Swedish press that they don't expect the courts to dismiss the case 
but it's far from certain how they'll rule in the end. But mm, um, mm. They, they could definitely win because activists have won similar cases in the Netherlands and Germany and as a result forced the countries to change their climate uh, policies. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, very interesting to follow. And um, Becky, unfortunately, has just had to, to leave us because she's in the middle of moving house and had to go let a plumber in, I think. So we'll we'll plow on without uh, without Becky for now. Uh, so we'll move on to our final story in this news roundup. Um, the energy minister Ebba Bush has given an update on when the government is going to pay out electricity subsidies to consumers, and it's not coming before Christmas, as the government had promised, is it, James? No, it's not. The subsidy won't be paid out to households until February and then businesses will get it at an even later date which has not yet been confirmed which by the way is causing enormous distress for a lot of small businesses particularly electricity intensive businesses like bakeries which are suffering a lot right now and um, uh, because of because of the, of the very high electricity costs they're paying. And Ebba Bush was interviewed on TV last night about this wasn't she? I think you were watching Richard. I was I mean she was moussad as they say you know turned to mashed potato I mean uh, quite brave of her actually because she was the first government minister to go up in front of Anders uh, Holmberg, who's quite a famously tough interviewer in Sweden. And they've been refusing to go for interviews for... They they haven't been putting ministers forward to either the Saturday interview on Swedish radio or this 30-minute programme. So Mm. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting just for that. But she maybe should have had better timing because she had just announced that she's not able to meet their election promise. They said they'd have the payment pour plats and everybody would have it in their bank accounts in mm. before Christmas. So it's definitely a broken promise. And she announced as much and said that when they'd got in, they spoke to the Mundicata, to the agencies and were convinced that this model was a better model. And that's why they had brought it in. And incidentally, it's the Social Democrats model. Um, So it's quite difficult for the government. And the Social Democrat leader, Magdalena Anderson, held a press conference yesterday when she said that Ulf Christensen lied right in the face of the Swedish people when he promised this, which is pretty hard hitting. And I don't know, it'd be interesting to see whether they live this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um. Do you have a Swedish partner and have ever thought to yourself, I just do not understand this person or how to make this relationship work? Well, you are not alone. Research shows 
that marriages between Swedes and immigrants are much more likely to end in divorce than Swede-only unions. And this is a general sort of intercultural phenomenon. It's not just Swedes and foreigners, it's foreigners and sort of native populations in general. And we're going to talk now about why intercultural relationships are so challenging and what we can do to draw on the positives and make them better. I spoke to a psychologist about this, and we've also been asking readers of The Local to share their experiences, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But first, when we started talking about this topic, Richard, you pointed me to a study from Lund University by the economic history professor Martin Driebe that came out a few years ago and looks at this in detail. Can you summarise the most important findings? Well, on the face of it, they're rather depressing because um, he looked at couples in Sweden where one partner is Swedish and the other is not Swedish and found they were considerably more likely to split up than fully Swedish couples. But he didn't just stop there. He also broke it down by how culturally different the country the non-Swedish partner comes from is from Swedish culture. So as you might know, Sweden is pretty much out there on the World Value Service, pretty much the most secular country in the world and one of the most individualist countries in the world in terms of sort of self-expression values. And what he found was that couples where the other partner came from a Protestant European country with a similar culture like Denmark, Norway, Germany, Finland, or the Netherlands, and also from English-speaking countries like the UK, New Zealand and Australia, but not really the US, they were only 10% to 38% more likely to break up than Swedes were, than you know fully Swedish couples were. But if the other partner comes from a country that's more dissimilar to Sweden culturally, like most of the Muslim countries, the Arab countries, the African countries and some Latin American countries, then that rose to 60% to 155 more likely to split up. So it's a big difference. And I've witnessed this, you know, I've got friends who, you know, there was a Kenyan guy who came with a friend of mine, and you could just see that the the difference was really putting the the, the relationship under tension, you know, his expectations of how she should behave and his of her, you know, her of him. And it, it definitely does make a difference. Where did Americans fit into all of this? He divided the countries in the World Values Survey up into four groups. And I think Americans from the second one, so one step further from Swedes. I had a chat yesterday with uh, Mona Lundqvist, a psychologist at the Stockholm region's Transcultural Centre, to get some advice on how to make intercultural communication work. And I should mention that she told me she herself is Finnish, so she has some experience of this. And to start with, I asked her if the culture we come from really does affect our psychological makeup. Yes and no. Uh, well, I'm a bit ambivalent there because we have our sort of basic psychology as human beings. We learn to speak and we learn to walk and we learn to do stuff in about the same time frame as we grow up. And we do certain stuff according to that we are human beings. We have this yeah. uh, and that we share in. And But then when we grow up, in, in depending on the context and the culture, if you would like to say that, it will sort of make us a bit different in how we deal with stuff and how we think and how we yeah how we act as as mm. human beings again and how we understand the world. Okay, good. Mm. What are the most common cultural differences that immigrants with Swedish partners struggle with in your experience? That's a huge question, and I think there are as many answers as there are couples that one of the partners are 
uh, a foreigner and the other is a Swede. And what are the what are the most common issues that you encounter where communication is difficult? Well, what could be called the otherification when you think the other person is something just uh, according to generalizations, the prejudices or racism, uh, then uh, and you don't actually are that curious. You are not that curious to to ask or. You don't even want to know who the other person is, but you have your sort of picture already done in your head. I think it's a extremely good thing that we are different, that we are not made in the same mold. That would be extremely boring if everybody was alike. Do you have any advice for how Swedes and foreigners can avoid mis- uh, cultural misunderstandings in their relationships? Be honest, be frank, but also you don't maybe need to put it in the face of the other and be flexible. Maybe ask more questions and listen more actively than also maybe just uh, putting forward your own perspective. Self-awareness is a good thing. Also try to uh, reverse the, 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 your view and say, well, how, how am I doing in, in this conversation, in this dialogue? What's my part in it? That was psychologist Mona Lindqvist. We ran a survey this week on the site to get a picture of what readers find difficult in relationships with Swedes and conversely, what Swedes struggle with. And we asked for tips on how to make intercultural relationships work. What are readers telling us? Well, there were some quite entertaining responses. Um, A lot of respondents mentioned that their Swede isn't great at expressing their feelings or expressing their thoughts about issues or problems that they're having. So it could be quite difficult to drill down to the real issue if your Swede feels uh, grumpy or upset. The main tip they gave for dealing with this was to be patient and ask questions and to give your Swede time to communicate at their own pace. That sounds textbook. That sounds like exactly what Mona Lindquist was telling us. (laughs) Well, I I mean, you know, there's uh, no better expert on relationships with Swedes than our readers, I suppose. Mm. Another group complained that their Swede, usually a male Swede, wasn't romantic or gentlemanly enough like doesn't open doors to them or compliment them as much as they would maybe like. You know, perhaps that's a sign of Sweden's gender equality, I don't know. But also that their blunt way of speaking, for example, telling someone to do something instead of asking politely, was a bit jarring. Another couple of people mentioned the kind of individualism in Swedish society. So the idea that they don't get as much help from their Swede's extended family as they would like in their home country, or that the Swede doesn't really talk to others or is very introverted compared to when they lived out of Sweden. So you bring your Swede home and they and they change, mm. um, which I think is super interesting. But also, you know, this idea that, that the Swede's extended family doesn't get involved, that goes to the core, I think, of Swedish society, doesn't it? You know, this, yeah. this idea that this individualistic society where your family is, you know, people you meet and sometimes have a nice time with, but that you're, 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 you're on your own and you'll get some help from the state. Mm. Um, but it's not up to the family to, to sort of um, look after the kids, basically, and to, mm. um, and, and, and to be involved in your life in that in that way. And that bluntness you mentioned, I think, is something that I've heard from a lot of people, particularly people from English speaking countries, where we couch everything in very sort of polite terms. Yeah. It's like, would you mind awfully? Whereas it's just like, you know, here it's straight to the point. Totally. I find now when I leave Sweden, and I and I talk to people in other countries, and I take this I, I take this learned bluntness with me. Yeah, people find it a bit weird, and it's it changes you living here. No, I've, I've really felt that in in our relationship. I always kind of feel like I'm being 
you know, at home, you feel almost like you're being ordered around like a servant, you know, get that, <laughs> move that there, do this. And you're like, oh, yes, thank you, madam. You know, yeah, I'll do that straight away. <laughs> it takes a lot of time to realize that, 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 that it's not rudeness. It's just directness. It takes about 13 years to get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, some more general relationship recommendations. Um, some more general recommendations for making a relationship work with a Swede were to find a common shared activity. This advice also works for making friends in Sweden. I think you hear that a lot, you yeah. know, join a sports club. And one respondent even said that the best thing he and his partner do for their relationship is to travel outside of Sweden as their partner opens up straight away and they can talk about their shared experiences of living in Sweden together, but in a different context. Mm. And finally, a lot of people just said that they had adapted to Swedish society. They'd toned down their behaviour, keep their voice down in public. I haven't learned that yet. I don't know about you. Um, and that kind of thing. Um, have, you, have you ever been socially shunned for raising your voice? I know because, of course, Swedes would never confront you about <laughs> it. So they probably just touch behind my back. There's been a lot of angry commentators after we wrote the article about that saying, you know, I don't want to lose myself in this country. I don't want to sort of throw away who I am. You know, I'm not mm. willing to compromise by toning myself down. But to be honest, I think I think it is. I think you do have to a little bit and you probably don't even notice that you're doing it. Yeah, it becomes naturally. You do adapt to your surroundings. We all adapt to our surroundings, but you, you, it's not a question of burying who you are. It's about growing as an individual. I sound like a, I sound like a bit hippie now. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is about growing as as an individual it's about it's just it's just normal behavior you, even if if you'd stayed in your home country you would have adapted as that country has adapted and as that country changes and as you move to a new country you adapt too it's normal it's fine i think it's worth mentioning that the overwhelming majority of people who responded to this were women talking about male partners, which I think slightly skewed the result, you know, mm. when they're talking about people who don't open up, who are with emotionally withdrawn. I'm not sure it would be the same with other types of relationships. Kind this of is just like guys, right? This is just guys. Yeah. The problem yeah. is men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well. What are these feelings you speak of? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, really good. And we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, the insights we've received from readers because we really did get a lot of very, very interesting responses. Uh, should we do the seasonal quiz? Yeah, let's do yeah. it. And the first question I have relates actually sort of tangentially to a headline that I saw on the local recently that really made me laugh. It was, baby, it's murder outside. And I've had like I've had baby, it's cold outside in my head ever <laughs> since reading the headline. Baby, it's murder outside. Sweden's 13th month is here. And it was in reference to a word coined by a Swedish cartoonist to describe the dark, muddy, wet period between autumn and winter. And I believe David Crouch, who wrote the article, is also responsible for the headline. And uh, I really I thank him for that beacon of light in the Merv. I actually met David for the first time a couple of weeks ago when I was down visiting the in-laws in Gothenburg. And David and I linked up, and I'm coming to the question now, David and I linked up in the wonderful park that is home to the Way Out West Music Festival, a petting zoo, the Plikta playground, and an observatory, among other things. What is the name of the 137 hectare park in central Gothenburg. Is it Slotskogen, Rudbecksparken, or Flora's Kulle? But I've been to this park, so I should know. Absolutely Slotsparken. Slotskogen, yeah. Slotskogen. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Rudbecksparken is in Westeros, 
and Flores Kulle is in Lulio in the far north. Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the the big goat in Yevlin now. So it's that time of year <laughs> when this big straw goat stands 13 meters tall in Yevla and people all over the world speculate on whether it will make it past Christmas or if arsonists will manage to burn it down first. And the goat has been damaged or burned 38 times since its inception in 1966. And I feel like we've written about 10,000 articles about this goat over the years. Yeah. Uh, and we do have a, a new article that we link to in the notes. Goats, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, <laughs> oh, this is an ama- amaz- amazing link. I mean, that was genius. So that Paul. leads us to, to question number two. What is the uh, fairy tale... Uh, the three billy goats gruff called in Swedish. Is it Dom tre bockarna buffe, Dom tre bockarna bruse, or Dom tre bockarna blossa? And this is where this is where Becky would have uh, come in very handy because she has a small child. Yeah, and I don't have any children. Trene bruce. It's bruse. Bruse. It's bruse. It sounds, that sounds right. Bruce, uh, I, Bruce, uh, that is the right answer. Two out of two. Well done, Richard, who has also had children and has children in Sweden. <laughs> One thing that drives a lot of people to distraction in Sweden is the use of weak numbers instead of dates. Oh, God, yeah. Do you enjoy weak numbers? I hate weak numbers. And the worst thing is you, you, you kind of lose people to weak numbers over time as they have children and they go to nursery school and then school and then the schools all communicate in weak numbers and so that means that even foreigners start communicating in weak numbers as well but if you don't have kids and you don't work in the public sector I don't know they're an absolute mystery to me and it really gets on my wit yeah, to be honest I'm, get, I'm getting agitated just thinking about it oh, <laughs> I'm oh, absolutely well, me, reliant uh, on this website vecca.new exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I literally <laughs> go onto it about 20 times a day <laughs> but you have to look at it you have to look it up it's like well, well you know particularly in the middle of the year where you know in January it's alright um, except I'm never quite sure if it's, if, you know, because the weeks don't fall that neatly, do they? So if it's sort of like half a week in December and half a week in January, is that week one or is that sort of week, what is it? You go onto that website, veca.nu, <laughs> and it will tell you what week it is. Don't ask me because... <laughs> so annoying. Anyway. I, I, cold cold sweats. So anyway, we're, we're currently reaching the end of week 48. Did you know oh, that? Oh, we not? No, I didn't. Uh, which is actually a reason to be cheerful for me because it's a reminder to listen to one of my all-time favourite songs. And unfortunately, for copyright reasons, we can't play it on the podcast. But the song is Helgen Vecka 48 by uh, the Swedish band Bob Hund, uh, which came out around the time I first moved to Sweden. So I'm very attached to it. So this leads me to a date-related question. Swedes traditionally throw out their Christmas trees 20 days after Christmas Eve on the 13th of January. What is that day known as? Is it Shugondag Ralf, Shugondag Björn or Shugondag Knut? It's Shugondag Knut. It is indeed. And who is this Knut of whom we speak? I have no idea, but I feel you're going to tell us. I will, I will because you are so nicely. It is. It commemorates the death of the Danish prince Knut Lavard, who is believed to have been killed by his cousin Magnus in 1131, and Magnus later became the king of Sweden, so it didn't harm his career chances too much. Why do we commemorate this 
Danish prince of a millennium ago? Well, it's St. Knut's Day, which was originally celebrated on the 7th of January, but was moved uh, at the end of the 1600s to the 13th. Uh, And we've got an article about the history and tradition that we'll put in the notes for anyone who's interested in uh, finding out a bit more about that. And that's all we have time for this week. You can find links to any of the articles we talked about in the show notes. Thank you to our interviewees, the Irish ambassador Austin Gormley and the psychologist Mona Lindqvist. Our panellists this week were James Savage, Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back with another episode of Sweden in Focus next Saturday. Until then, take care. is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.